Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of my pillow, here to tell you about my Giza Dream bed sheets. I made sure that they would be everything you'd ever want in a sheet set. I started with the world's finest cotton called Giza. It's only grown in a region where the Sahara Desert, the Nile River, and the Mediterranean Sea all meet. The long staple cotton makes my Giza Dream sheets ultra soft and durable. They come with extra wide pillowcases to fit over any pillow and extra deep pockets to fit over any mattress. Not only that, they come with my 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. And now you can get the best sheets ever for the best price ever. When you buy one of my Giza Dream bed sheet sets, you'll get another one absolutely free. I personally guarantee that they'll be the most comfortable sheets you'll ever own. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener specials for the buy one Get one free offer on Giza Sheets. All you got to do, Renegade Nation, is enter the promo code RENEGADE or call 1-800-889-6817 for these great specials. That's 1-800-889-6817. Use the promo code RENEGADE. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carroll. Though you may not realize that the ongoing threat of terrorism is affecting your life and that of your loved ones. Each week, Dr. Carroll analyzes the hottest topics in terror and helps you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Attacks of the Bedroom Radicals Begin. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist, and your terrorist therapist. Uh, I know you're scratching your head and wondering what is a bedroom radical. Well, a bedroom radical is someone who has been in lockdown and who has had an inordinate amount of time to spend online. And during this time, they have become radicalized by terrorist propaganda, whether that's um, ISIS or Al-Qaeda or the Taliban or any other subgroups of terrorists. They have, particularly because of um, being disgruntled, you know, as we all pretty much were during lockdown, uh, as well as having all this time. So... I'm going to talk to you today about two examples of these bedroom radicals coming forward, two terror attacks that you may well not have heard about because, um, <laughs> because terror attacks uh, these days are not making front page news. There seems to be a movement afoot to try to pretend that terrorism doesn't exist, but that's why you can always come here and find out that it does and about the latest attacks. Now, these two attacks occurred one in Norway and one in England, in London. Um, and, you know, of course, that's why they were perhaps not front page news in America. But the point of, that I'm, that I'm going to tell you about now, um, well, I'm going to tell you about those stories about the attacks, but I want you to keep this in mind, because if you're thinking, oh, well, that was Norway and that was London and I don't live in those places, so I really don't have to worry about that. It's not going to happen to me. Well, <laughs> you know, unfortunately, Europe and Scandinavia 
um, are amongst the places that have opened their doors to migrants, even before the tragedy and travesty in Afghanistan, just regular migrants coming, many of whom came from um, countries where they are known to have uh, a lot of jihadis, a lot of terrorists who want to attack the West. And um, to that end, um, and, and really Europe and Scandinavia, they are, they are so shocked when something, not as much London, but um, certainly Scandinavia and, I mean, even London relatively, because, I mean, there have been numerous terror attacks in London, but there is still this sense of, um, oh, really? Um, could this be dangerous that we have allowed so many migrants into our country? So there's really a, a tendency to not want to acknowledge terror attacks um, as being terror attacks. Now, the reason the significance of this for people who live in the U.S. is that, um, that we uh, now... <laughs> have brought in, besides all the people who are coming across the southern border, including some terrorists amongst them because they are sneaking in, <laughs> it's not hard when you have so many people crossing the border, and we already know there have been terrorists caught crossing the southern border. Um, but in addition to that, now that we've had this travesty in Afghanistan, um, even the Homeland Security Secretary has admitted that, quote, of the 60,000 Afghans who have entered the U.S., nearly 8,000 are either U.S. citizens or residents, while about 1,800 are SIV holders, they, having obtained visas after assisting the U.S. military, unquote. Now, that leaves approximately 50,200 Afghan refugees, you listen for this, for whom we had no certain identification and no assurance whatsoever that they weren't jihad terrorists. We didn't know anything about them at all and still don't. So if you don't think we have anything in common in terms of being in danger, just like uh, Norway and London, <laughs> you're wrong. But that will be a, the subject of many future <laughs> Uh, podcasts, terrorist therapist podcasts, as we have one attack after the other by these jihadist Afghans who have snuck through. But for today, let's talk about um, this very um, creative or resourceful terrorist in Norway, whose name is Espen Anderson Brathen. And he uh, just recently murdered five people and injured three people, starting out with an attack that was with bow, a bow and arrow. Now, you got to say, for a terrorist, he's pretty resourceful. Um, and he started out in a, a grocery store using a bow and arrow and shooting that at people. And then he went to, um, he, he left the grocery store and he went to this one particular street. Now, th this town in Norway, it's called Kongsberg. And it is a very small, quiet, peaceful um, postcard, you know, post picture postcard uh, town. Beautiful, you know, uh, serene. Um, nothing like this has happened before there. And um, 
he so that's where he murdered uh people living in their homes he left the after he left the grocery store with his bow and arrow he then um murdered people and they believe with knives he stabbed them so let me tell you his story the story begins about five oh and 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 wait and the the this is an, a case that is an example I, i've talked about um terrorists before who exemplify this in previous podcasts, where there is this issue, this question of, is he a jihadist? Is he a real terrorist? Or is he crazy, mentally ill? <laughs> um, and I have, as I have mentioned in previous podcasts, being having a mental illness and being a real terrorist are not mutually exclusive. They, um, in fact, people who have mental illness are more vulnerable to terrorist propaganda. So approximately five years ago, the story begins where a, um, this man, uh, Espen, let's call him, <laughs> uh, Espen Anderson Brathen, let's call him Espen. Um, he, he's the son of a Norwegian father and a Danish mother. And he walked into a mosque uh, five years ago, approximately, in this uh, calm town, asking the person in the mosque for help to deliver a message to the world that he claimed to have received, quote, from above, unquote. Now, um, feeling that you're a messenger of God, whether it's Allah or um, a Jewish God, a Christian God, any kind of God, um, if you that that concept of feeling that you are a, getting a message and feeling that you are a messenger of God and you have to give this message to the world is typical of psychosis and in particular typical usually of schizophrenia, though it could also be of um, mania. But in this particular case and the des the description of this man, it, se it does seem like his um, that he his mental illness is most likely schizophrenia. So anyhow, he walked into this mosque and he told that to the um, to the person who heads the mosque, whose name is Usama Tilili, and um, he this this uh, this person who's the head of the mosque. Um, now again, this is about five years ago, and he the person who was the head of the mosque hasn't thought much about uh, Espen until this incident. This um, this rampage of, um, of uh, you know, a terrorist attack um, where, where he killed people starting off with bows and arrows and, and then stabbing people. Um, so, and, and he has confessed, by the way. Um, so now this, now this head of the mosque is remembering <laughs> about this man who came in some years ago, and he said, I told him we are not a news agency. And this is the only mosque in Kongsberg in this town. He said, you could see the tension in his face and his body. It made me uncomfortable. And I remember thinking this man is at risk. Um, now, he said, um, th this um, mosque leader uh, goes on to say that um, uh, that he didn't think that, oh, at the time that he came to the mosque, um, Espen was 
a recent convert to Islam. Now, it's not clear yet where he got converted or, you know, if this was an official conversion or he just did it himself online or something. But the head of the mosque said um, that he thought that he was a man less motivated by religious fervor than um, one who had deep personal troubles. Again, these things aren't, uh, aren't mutually exclusive. Um, So now, now this man is at a uh, mental health facility because uh, because although the police started out saying that they you know thought this was a terror attack and so on, they are also decided that he needed psychiatric help, which indeed he does, um, but that doesn't take away from his being a terrorist. Uh, one policeman said he is very tired and he is not well mentally. Now. What's interesting, of course, is that the local police and the district psychiatric care center are being investigated for possible lapses in their dealing with Mr. Brathen. Uh -huh. Obviously, he fell through the cracks. Um, now, let's see. He lived in Kongsberg most of his life. He attended junior high school there. Um, interviews were done with friends and acquaintances, and they describe him as a soft-spoken, amicable young man who took a sudden disturbing turn. Now, this one woman who's 30 years old said that she met him in around 2009, so that would have been when he was around 25, and she said he was incredibly kind, not, not attention-seeking. Um, she used to see him often at parties. Quote, he was never talking about politics or religion. He was more interested in skateboarding, hip hop and smoking hash. Now, we know that um, smoking hash or marijuana or any drugs um, do can cause one, if, especially if they have a genetic predisposition to a psychosis like schizophrenia, to bring it out. Um. In recent years, she, when she ran into him, she said he always looked unsettled. His eyes were evasive and his sentences would trail off. The last time she saw him was the Saturday before the attack from when she was walking home from a grocery store. And she said he was in front of her when he suddenly started acting paranoid, checking frantically over his shoulder. Quote, it was so obvious to anyone who saw him on the street, even those who didn't know him, that he needed help. Um, his, he first appeared in police reports in 2012 for petty crimes like drug possession and for breaking and entering into a local mining museum. And then he converted to Islam uh, and he found his way to the mosque at the Islamic Cultural Center in Kongsberg. And uh, that's where he asked Mr. Talili for help in delivering his divine message. So Mr. Talili said, this guy, he didn't know anything about Islam. He didn't even know the, how to wash his hands properly before afternoon prayer. Um, he was not at all interested in speaking about religion. He suspected even then that he may have been ill. Looking, quote, looking back, I believe it was a cry for help. And he, he had wanted to, he said that he wanted to, um, to call the police or, you know, to tell the police about him, but he didn't. And then when the man stopped coming to the mosque, he just kind of forgot about it until now. Well, I will stop here in this story and continue when we come back, including 
there is a video that um, he posted to Facebook in 2017, and I will read that to you. I will tell you what he said. So stay tuned. You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. Now back to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back to The Terrorist Therapist Show where we're talking today about attacks of the bedroom radicals begin. And the first bedroom radical <laughs> that we're talking about is Espen Anderson Brathen. And um, now it's not clear yet that he, uh, well, actually, it's not a hundred, you know, they're, they're still investigating his crime. He is the bow and arrow uh, terrorist in Norway, and the police are still investigating his crime. And he is currently in a psychiatric hospital where psychiatrists are trying to unravel his mind, um, hopefully. <laughs> and um, and I, I will continue with his story, which is really very interesting. So um, getting back to the Mr. Talili, who was the head of the mosque that um, this man, that the terrorist went to and said that he um, is a messenger of God or he has a message that he, he wants to deliver to people, um, he came in a few times and then he stopped. And this was around the same time in around 2015 that Norway's police security service learned that he had converted to Islam and that he had appeared to pose a threat. And then in 2017, that is when he posted this video on YouTube in which he said he was a messenger. Now, I will tell you exactly what he said. It's a rather... Um, it's a rather chilling video. I mean, it's a video where you can really tell that there is something mentally wrong with this man. He says, hello. It's not just the words. It's his tone. It's how he's saying it. It looks like he's reading it um, and, you know, that he had written this out and he's reading it. But there's a kind of um, sort of chilling tone. So he said, hello, I am a messenger. I come with a warning. Is this really what you want? And to all who want to make up for himself. So it's time. Bear witness that I am a Muslim. Now, um, people who don't believe or, or who don't believe that some Muslims, extremist Muslims, are taught to um, and and in and in um, um, ISIS, you know, and the various terrorist groups teach teach terrorists to kill the unbelievers. Um, so, really, his message saying the time has it's so it's time. Bear witness that I am a, a Muslim. This is his warning. Uh, I come with a warning. His warning is that he is a Muslim. He's trying to say that he has been taught um, the teachings of terrorists, of some terrorist group. We don't know who yet. Um, and, and so he is dangerous, you know, that he is um, going to 
going to follow their teachings. Now, again, of course, not all Muslims are terrorists and not all terrorists are Muslim. Um, okay, now it comes out that um, the psychiatric, exam he had psychiatric examinations in 2010 and 2018. And here we have yet again, the failure of psychiatry, which I am so sick and tired of seeing where people, you know, come uh, get to a psychiatrist or get to a clinic one way or another, whether someone brings them there or they find, you know, make their way there themselves because they're unhappy and so on. And um, perhaps he was given medication and then he just didn't continue taking it. Uh, we don't know what happened, but clearly this clinic or this psychiatrist didn't follow up, which he obviously should have done. <laughs> there should have, he should, have, he, she, uh, the psychiatrist should have seen that there was enough risk there, that there was enough uh, serious mental illness there to not just hand him a prescription and send him off into the sunset. So hopefully they will get to the bottom of that. Um, and, the, and of course, the uh, center, the psychiatric center is saying we're going to turn over every stone to get to the bottom of this. That does not help the five people who were killed and the three people who were injured. Now, last year, a judge imposed a six-month restraining order on him uh, at his parents' request because he refused to leave his parents' house. He threatened to kill his father, and he left a revolver on their sofa. Now, um, yet, you know, nothing was done. He wasn't arrested. He wasn't brought to a, put in the hospital. Um, there are these two roommates who lived across the street from him, and they describe him as a brooding, unstable presence who often kept to himself. Um, one, one of the, there were two women. One, day, one woman said, one day he would be making creepy comments about my hair or my dress, and the next he would walk right by me with completely empty eyes. And it's interesting. That is how the people in London described the terrorist Ali Harbi Ali, 25 years old, who stabbed the member of par parliament. They mentioned how he had, em how that terrorist had empty eyes. Um, and then one of these women tried to alert her neighbors, but her concerns went unheeded. Now, um, what else can I tell you about him? So, um, now one, one thing that's really interesting is that the police in Norway don't have guns. So when he began um, shooting his bow and arrow at people in this supermarket, the police confronted him. But since they are unarmed, they retreated when he began firing arrows. The dangers of uh, not having the police with guns and the dangers of not allowing the public to have guns. You know, that's why we have the Second Amendment. So the police finally apprehended him 35 minutes later after he had murdered five people. Really sad. Um, he had been previously flagged as having been ra radicalized. Um, 
The chief of police said there has been there has previously been worrying information about this man linked to his radicalization, which the police have followed up on. But in 2021, we have not received any warnings about him. That's because he was on the Internet (laughs) uh, ingesting more um, radical propaganda. So he was free and unsupervised. And um, he obviously should have had more supervision. Um, Now, here's this is yes. Um, He probably came into contact with publications of the Islamic State with ISIS, um, which in 2014 issued this call to Muslims in Western countries. And this is what ISIS put out as their propaganda. Uh, Now, this was in 2014, and he, you know, by 2015, he was a convert and he was wanted to give his message. So this is what ISIS told people, told, told wannabe lone wolf terrorists. Quote, you must strike the soldiers, patrons, and troops of the Tawagit, the rebels against Allah. Strike their police, security, and intelligence members, as well as their treacherous agents, destroy their beds, embitter their lives for them, and bitter them with themselves, and busy them with themselves. If you can kill a disbelieving American or European, especially uh, the especially the something especially the the filthy French or an Australian. <laughs> they don't like those people, especially, uh, or a Canadian or any other disbeliever from the disbelievers waging war, including the citizens of the countries that entered into a co- coalition against the Islamic State, then rely upon Allah and kill him in any manner or way, however it may be, like even using a bow and arrow, right? If you are not able to find an IED or a bullet, then single out the disbelieving American, Frenchman, or any of their allies, smash his head with a rock, or slaughter him with a knife, or run him over with your car, or throw him down from a high place, or choke him, or poison him. So, needless to say, uh, he figured out bows and arrows would do just as well. So, um, uh, so let's see. Let me see if there's, there's so much to his story. I'm trying to trying to give you the highlights. Um, he had a, there was a preliminary hearing. It was decided that he should be held for four weeks by the health services. That's what the police requested. Um, and he was banned from writing letters and receiving visits during this period. He has to spend the first two weeks in full isolation. Uh, that'll help somebody's mental health, right? Uh, he had lived alone in Kongsberg. Um, and uh, as I think I said, he had multiple pr- convictions for aggravated theft and drug possession. Uh, there was one remaining friend. He had one remaining friend who broke ties with him in 2017 when he spotted him on a YouTube video, the one that I presumably just uh, told you about, saying he had converted to Islam and making veiled threats. Um, Okay, that is the story of the 
of the bow and arrow terrorist in Norway. And when we come back, I will tell you the story of the terrorist Ali Harbi Ali, um, who stabbed a very well-loved and respected member of parliament in London. So stay tuned. You've been listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Stay tuned and she'll be right back with more analysis of this week's hottest topic in terror. Now back to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. Welcome back to The Terrorist Therapist Show where we're talking today about attacks of the bedroom radicals begin. Well, here is another bedroom radical. <laughs> um, you know, I know <laughs> probably when I said this at the beginning or when you saw the title of this podcast, you thought it had something to do with sex, somebody who was radical in bed. But no, <laughs> no, no, not on the terrorist therapist show, at least not yet. I mean, there may well be a terrorist who does something crazy in bed as well. But here I am talking about terrorists who have um, during the lockdowns been spending a lot of time becoming radicalized online. And now that the lockdowns are being released, they are coming into the streets and looking for people and ways and places to attack. Now, if you've been listening to these podcasts for a while, you know that I have been talking about this during this whole time of COVID, that um, that the only reason why we have not heard about more terror attacks during these one and a half years or so is because people weren't in this on the streets. And when we come back out on the streets and in different places like concert halls, you know, and, and places where there are a lot of people, um, that we are going to be seeing more of these attacks. And lo and behold, yes, they are starting. Um, now, the one that I was just telling you about, the Norway terrorist, uh, bow and arrow terrorist, you know, he started his attack in, um, in a supermarket using bows and arrows, a bow and arrow, and arrows, <laughs> um, and then continued the attack going on this street, a particularly well-loved street, a historical street that is, you know, an epitome of calm, serene, um, historical streets in Norway. And he killed those people, uh, went into their houses, actually, and killed them, stabbed them. He threw away his bow and arrow and he um, stabbed them. So now we're going to London, where Ali Harbi Ali, a 25-year-old British citizen of Somali descent, stabbed a well-loved member of parliament whose name is David Amos. Now, this man um, was having this, uh, this member of parliament, this MP, um, was having a, a meeting. Every uh, couple of weeks, he would have meetings in the area that he was representing, you know, the community that he was representing, so that he could talk to his peoples, <laughs> you know, the people who he represents, 
um, like one-on-one and find out what they, what their complaints were, what they could, what he could do to help them. And everybody of, of all parties in the UK um, say have, that he was just a wonderful, nice guy, really uh, down to earth, really trying to help his constituents. And so, so um, he was, having one of his typical meetings. It was in a church where uh, in the middle of his, of his um, community. And um, in the middle of this, a man came in, Ali Harbi Ali, and stabbed him 17 times, by the way. And this is a man who is linked to Islamist extremists. And now, not as much is known about Ali Harbi Ali as the Norwegian terrorist because um, because because it happened a little later, or because it's just taking them longer to uh, to delve into his background. Um, but they are they were the police. Uh, there are three houses connected to him. Um, you know, one where he lived growing up and where his family, some of his family still lives, one where his father lives, and one where he lives, where Ali lived before he did this attack. He traveled 50 miles by train to go to this meeting where he knew that um, David Amos was going to be. Now, in this particular case, um, it seems targeted, you know, either... Either it was random, he just saw an ad, this, you know, these, um, this MP would publicize when and where he was going to be having his regular meetings. Um, so whether it just so happened that Ali saw this ad or there is some particular reason why he targeted this one, that is what they are investigating. So this isn't an example necessarily of well, I mean, it is and it isn't. It's not an example of um, where there were, where he tried to get kill lots of people. I mean, that's the whole point. Terrorists like to kill as many people um, and injure as many people in one attack as possible. But this, uh, and he didn't, and this Ali did not stab any of the other people standing around who had come to the meeting. But um, certainly it would, they weren't having these meetings in person during the lockdown. So it, it does really follow the same thing that I was saying at the beginning. <laughs> um, now, he, uh, after he stabbed him, he calmly waited for the police to arrive. And he was arrested at the scene on suspicion of murder. Like there was no, I mean, there were people, all kinds of witnesses, of course. And uh, so they knew who did it. I mean, there was no question about that. Um, they're calling him a bedroom. In fact, the police are calling him a bedroom radical. Um, I didn't just make this up <laughs> myself. Um, and he is, was a lone, he's a lone wolf terrorist and he is thought to have become radicalized online recently. Now, you know, during the lockdown, uh, and, and isolation that has made people not just want to be terrorists, but has made lots of people more introspective and angry. Most, many of us, if not most of us. And um, so that makes us, makes people more vulnerable to becoming radicalized. Um, he was British born, but he's of Somali descent. And he may have been inspired, probably it's going to turn out, that he was inspired by the, um, 
by the Somali um, terrorist group, Al-Shabaab, which is an offshoot of Al-Qaeda in Somalia and Kenya. Now, an interesting aspect to this story is that his father, who is Somalian, uh, his name is Harbi Ali Kulani. He's 61, and he's a former communications advisor to the prime minister of Somalia. Now, when, they, when the police went to him and told him about what his son just did, he said, quote, I'm feeling very traumatized. It's not something that I expected or ever dreamed of. Which, to tell you the truth, I don't know how that strikes you, but excuse me, sir. Uh, yes, you may be traumatized if we can believe that you had no idea about your son becoming radicalized. But um, how about the MP who your son just stabbed to death 17 times? Uh, I'm, excuse me if I'm not feeling particularly uh, compassionate towards you being traumatized. It's because of you. You were the one who grew a son who became radicalized. Um, I mean, obviously, there is some issue there between the father and the son that is going to be hopefully elucidated. Um, now, let's see. Um, the father, in fact... Oh, and, and just like the, the um, Norwegian terrorist, this Mr. Ali... <laughs> Uh, the London terrorist had been referred to the what this prevent program in London. I've talked about this before. It's a counter terrorist program, which um, is meant to it's meant for people to refer people who they suspect of potentially becoming radicalized so that they can try to de-radicalize them before they actually have a terror attack. Well, so, and he was um, reported to them, um, but they did not, um, and there is this potential motivation linked to Islamic extremism, and he, um, he, he didn't stay very long in this prevent program. Now, I'm not quite sure why people, you know, it's supposed to be voluntary and it's not a criminal sanction, but, you know, it seemed to me <laughs> that the police should try to keep, if the people leave the prevent program, you know, don't want to be de-radicalized, then they should keep more attention to them, pay more attention to them, keep them under some kind of supervision. Um, this is a program where teachers, members of the public, the National Health Service, and others can refer individuals to a local panel of police and social workers and other experts. And these people try to decide how to, uh, whether and how to intervene in their lives, basically to de-radicalize them. Um, now, it turns out that the father, I mean, you know, so, so I don't know who referred him. They haven't said who referred him to the, to the prevent program, but certainly, I mean, why didn't his father realize that there was a problem? Um, now it turns out that the father is kind of an interesting character. Um, I mean, of course, all the people in this, in Ali's neighborhood are saying, oh, they are so surprised because he was such a nice boy when he was in that neighborhood. Of course, his parents are divorced. He lived in this neighborhood uh, until he was 16 or 17. 
and his parents are divorced. So that could well have been, as it often is, uh, the turning point for when someone goes down the wrong, the wrong path. Um, now, his father, let's see. Um, his father is, was a very political man. Um, yeah, his father is a man of strong political opinions. And um, he, he, he described himself on Twitter as the, the father I'm talking about, as the former director of media and communication department at the office of the prime minister, Federal Republic of Somalia. But he came back to the UK. The father came back to the UK for medical reasons, uh, a heart condition, and he was being treated at a hospital in London. Um, he has very strong political opinions. Uh, he railed, he's been railing about his country's current president, Mohammed Abdullahi Mohammed. Um, and he has said, the father has said, um, he's not a deity who determines our future. He's mentally handicapped with dictatorial tendencies. Now that he is compromised, let's fast forward elections and on and on. So he was very, um, you know, very loud politically. And um, certainly that could have been a, uh, could have been an influence, would likely be an influence to his son. Um, although I'm not saying that the father was a terrorist, but the idea of having radical kinds of opinions, strong opinions that one acts on, expresses, you know, um, could well have been an influence. Now, um, um, there's a question as to whether Ali had made an appointment to be at this meeting with the MP or whether he just came that day and, and he was ushered in, he was allowed in. Um, so we will hear more, find out more about him. And um, the mosques in London, the South End mosques are condemning this attack. They're saying it's an indefensible atrocity. Um, they're saying that this man who Ali killed was an upstanding friend, quote, upstanding friend to our Muslim community and attended key events, including weddings, mosque openings, and the launch of the town's first Muslim scout group. So it's very sort of, it's still a, it's still a mystery as far as why, um, whether he picked this guy, why he picked this guy when the, when the guy, um, the, uh, the MP, um, was such a friend to, um, to Muslims. But we will undoubtedly hear more. Um, and if it is interesting enough, I will, I will follow up with this on a future podcast. But for now, the message is, uh, the message is that these bedroom radicals, their attacks are beginning as we come out of lockdown. Now, again, I am not saying to uh, hide under the covers, but just kind of be more alert. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. If you would like to find out more about terrorism from me, your terrorist therapist, visit my website, terroristtherapist.com. And if you're a parent or teacher and want to build stronger nests for your kids to become more resilient, 
Check out my new award-winning book, Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. It's the first and only book about terrorism for kids. You can find it wherever books are sold or directly from the publisher at terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist. Thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio with your host, Dr. Carol. We hope listening to the show has made you feel calmer, more resilient, and more able to reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. You can also check out past shows on Renegade Talk Archives for more insights.